Blog Talk Radio. another day in paradise, right? Donald Trump is our president and global warming doesn't exist. It's another great day, huh? Thank you for listening. This is Hashtag Just Saying with Mandy Kinney. Um, I have been, uh, I was on vacation and I was sick, so I have not been on here in a while, but I am back and I'll be here every Tuesday at 7 p.m. I've been watching the news. I've been researching. I've been trying to understand what the heck is going on with all these executive orders and the travel ban, everything else. I'm going to jump right in. Um, I didn't even know what an executive order was. Again, I'm going to give the whole um, preface that I give every time. For one thing, I can't stand Donald Trump. I think he's an awful person. I think he's an awful, he was an awful candidate. Um, But I hope that he's a good president. Um, I voted for Jill Stein from the Green Party. I uh, was a big Bernie Sanders supporter, and my background is not in politics at all. It's actually in athletics more than anything else. Um, I didn't grow up, you know, studying politics or or geography much. And, in fact, uh, my degree is not in political science or anything like that. So um, I, I, I don't have a worldly understanding like some people who have grown up um, like researching and studying politics and watching the news all the time. However, I noticed that Bernie Sanders was not getting much, much press coverage in early or right around the time he announced in 2015, I noticed from day one that he wasn't getting much press coverage. So I started doing a lot of research to learn more about him. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to know, and the more I was kind of pissed off. So, um, yeah, that's where this all sprung from, if you will. And um, I've just continued from there on. So anything I say, I'm not, I mean, I, of course I have lots of opinions, but I'm not very biased because I I don't have a, a lot of history of um, having opinions on any of these things. I like very, basically ignored all things politics. Uh, geography, history, everything until the, well, well, until 2016. Um, So I'm making up for like, you know, 30 years worth of history and world geography and and politics. Um, But what I do is when I feel something um, needs more attention or when I'm interested in something, I research. And so my idea is to bring my findings to everyone um, on the air because from what I found, you don't always get the truth and you certainly don't get the whole story by watching the news. That being said, let's dive right in. So I know I've heard of an executive order before, but I didn't know what it was. So I looked it up and um, it's basically a written order by the president and it's issued to the federal government. It doesn't require congressional approval. So the orders can be like anything reversing policy or declaring a stance on a topic or um, it can be a, a, a variety of things. Um, and so why do presidents issue them? Sometimes the orders are made like during wartime to declare war or to um, 
to avert a domestic crisis or something. A president also can uh, declare uh, an executive order when members of Congress act too slowly. In fact, Obama um, controversially, I guess, said uh, to a crowd one time in Kansas City in July 2014 that if they're not going to do anything, we'll do what we can on our own. Um, Because, you know, you've probably heard the phrase, it's like an act of Congress getting this done. And that phrase is around for a reason because Congress moves very slowly and they take their time and they argue with each other and things just don't get done quickly. Whereas an executive order is basically the president like laying the smack down and being like, look, this is going to happen immediately. And this is what's going to, this is who's got to do what, you know, but they're not necessarily the final law of the land because they can be overturned. So an executive order has to work within the confines of the law. Um, And it's supposed to be determined legal by the office of the legal counsel and the, I think the department of justice, but it actually doesn't always happen. For instance, um, the travel ban, it was, it was reviewed by counsel supposedly, but people are saying it's against the law. Um, but we'll talk about the travel ban later. But if an order is deemed to stray outside the boundaries of what's acceptable, it can be subject to a legal review. Um, and then also Congress can pass a law to override an executive order. But like I said, Congress takes forever to do things, so that might not ever get done. And the president still has veto power over congressional you know, uh, laws that they've, they've voted on. Um, so, you know, I, again, I, I have not ever paid attention to any of this stuff and I don't remember Obama coming in and like tearing down walls and pissing everyone off like, uh, Trump has, but Trump has certainly, um, made it known to the world that he is the president and he is going to do his thing. Um, but I wanted to know why they're like politically sensitive And they're controversial because they circumvent the use of Congress in any way possible. So they allow the president kind of to act as a dictator. Now, like I said, there are some checks and balances, but, um, you know, we have the system set in place in such a way that really executive orders were designed to be like, you know, if there's some kind of crisis, like some kind of huge emergency um, and presidents over the history of time basically have almost all of them have had um, have used executive orders, some of them a lot more than others. Um, The only president who has not actually issued or never did issue an executive order was William Henry Harrison. And like I said, I'm ignorant. I didn't know who that was. So I looked it up. He was the ninth president and he started his term in 1773. Um, He was the only president who has never or did not ever issue any executive orders. So if that's not telling, I mean, presidents are put in their place to be the, the supreme leader of the land, not the dictator, but sometimes they have to do what they have to do, I guess, is kind of the, the intent on executive orders. So, interestingly, Teddy Roosevelt issued 3,721 orders during his 12 years in office. That was more than anyone else in history. 
Um, Obama actually signed 279. I had no idea about that. George Bush issued 291 over his eight years. And Obama's average was 35 orders per year, which was actually the lowest tally since Grover Cleveland, who was the president in 1885, and then again in 1893. Um, And he averaged 32 a year. And Obama has already exceeded anyone else's that I could find in the first two weeks. Um, Okay, so that's what an an executive order is. But then I kept looking through um, what all executive orders that he has had, and I kept seeing presidential memorandas, too. And I'm like, what's a memoranda? I mean, obviously, I know that word is the the longer word for um, what we call memos, but I I mean, I think of a memo as like scratching on a post-it and sticking on a wall, you know, but presidential memoranda is actually, it's an, it's increasingly common, but it's not as well known. And it's a way, it's another way the president can act. It came to replace many executive orders under Obama. So um, it doesn't get as much press, but it basically has the same effect in some ways. Um, so Obama did a lot more memoranda and not as many executive orders as some other presidents, um, but they basically have the same effect. And basically they're executive orders, but they, they go by another name. And for that reason, I guess they're unique and they're technically not the same thing as an executive order. Both have the force of the law of the, on the executive branch, and sometimes they seem to be used interchangeably. So sometimes people will say, well, he, he put out an executive order and it was really a memoranda, but in reality, they're almost the same thing. Um, one major difference is that executive orders are numbered, so um, they have a specific like naming convention that includes this really long number. And then presidential memoranda are not numbered, so it makes them more difficult to count. So I don't even know that we have a total of how many memoranda exist throughout the years. And also people use them for prestige because an order sounds more authoritative than a request, and the numbering system gives the executive orders an illusion of power, but in reality, like I said, they're almost the same thing. As far as publication of these two things go, the law requires that executive orders are published to the Federal Register, um, which I guess is is sort of like the congressional record, but it's for the executive branch. And then memorandas, um, they may not be, they they can be published or they don't, but they don't have to be published. They're not required to be. And depending on the subject, some of them are not. The publishing part is considered to be the part that actually gives gives it the appearance of creating a law, but it doesn't necessarily have to be published in order for it to take effect and be part of the law. Um, And then there's precedences for each of them. There's different type of official directives the president can give. Um, So the, the hierarchy of his directives are proclamations, executive orders, presidential memoranda, presidential notices, and presidential determinations. Most of the time, notices and determinations require Congress as well. So interestingly, I I didn't realize that about the proclamations. I mean, I know about the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, That's the only one I know of in history, but there may be more. Again, I'm ignorant until last year's um, history. So as far as authority goes, JFK actually created an an executive order that made it so that executive orders must cite the authority the president has to issue it. So basically before that, 
executive orders didn't necessarily have to um, say why they were driven by the law or what law they were driven by or for what purpose. Um, but JFK was like, uh, that doesn't make sense. So you have to cite the authority um, that the president has to issue it. So it could be something from the Constitution. It could be a specific statute. Um, it could be, you know, a variety of things, but you have to justify it, basically. Presidential memoranda, they don't have that requirement. So basically, it's kind of, you get the same effect by doing a memoranda, except it doesn't sound as, as official. Um but you also can cut some corners. And as far as amending them, only executive orders can amend or rescind another executive order. And the same thing with presidential memorandum. Only a presidential memoranda can um, rescind or amend another memoranda. However, interestingly, like I said, so an executive order can be put in place and then it can be challenged, which is the case with the travel ban right now, um, and actually, as I talk right now, I have, I have the news on, and it says appeals court hears arguments over Trump travel ban. I was just listening to it. Oddly, they're doing it over the phone. It's, it's very strange. Um, okay, so I was thinking, okay, how did, I mean, how did Trump even, like, know where to start? Like, what, how do you know where to start when you first, like, take office? I mean, Obviously, we know, like, he wanted to ban Muslims, he wants to build a wall, um, he wants uh, basically trickle-down economics, you know, he, we repeal and replace Obamacare. We know what he wants, but how do you even start, like, which executive orders? So, basically, the subjects of them are, they're often used to create the new rules and committees. But they also can declare states of emergencies or give federal workers days off. Um, I think it would have been a good idea for Trump to have um, declared Monday, Super Bowl Monday, or Monday, as someone called it yesterday, um, and have a federal holiday, but he did not. Um, but they can also start processes or require a specific department or agency to do something um, by executive orders and memoranda. So, as far as the past two weeks go, um, oh, and I titled this show Trump Trump's Last Two Weeks because I don't think you can trump Trump's last two weeks. His last two weeks have been like no other in history. So, day by day, um, basically Friday, his inauguration day, there was a memorandum for the heads of executive departments and agencies. There was a regulatory freeze pending review. So, actually, rent, right, right, I think his name is, I think they say Wright Priebus, um, is the one who actually put that in action. Um, he's the, the president's chief of staff, and it works as if the president signed it, though. So there was an immediate halt to the publication of any new regulations, and then once the president's nominees for the cabinet are confirmed by the Senate, the freeze is lifted. So that was, and he had the inauguration that day. So that was pretty much it for Friday. Saturday was the first day of being president, and it was filled with, as I like to say, interestingness. He went to the CIA and was trying to make nice with him after totally bashing him his whole campaign. And while he was there, he talked about how huge the crowd was at his inauguration and how it was the biggest that anyone's ever seen, and millions and millions of people there. And Later on, it was reiterated by his press secretary, but 
that's been debated ever since. Like even still, I hear references to it because they showed pictures of um, the mall where the inauguration speech is given, and it was like half empty. Um, no, I do. Uh, I think that most likely more people watched it than ever before because of streaming and everything. But it, it's clear that it was not the most um, attended inauguration in history. Um, and at that same time on Saturday, I'm sure you heard about the Women's March on, on Washington protesting Trump. And it attracted thousands of people. And it actually went worldwide, which was cool. Um, I hope this momentum can keep going. Um, however, women and everyone, if you have a protest of any sort, discard your trash accordingly. Don't litter. I did see a report that, that, that you know, thousands or hundreds of, of signs were just left in a pile afterwards, just discarded like, like trash. I mean, like it was just litter. So that's not nice. That's not cool. Don't litter. Um, anyway, so the next day, which is Sunday, um, I don't know if you watch them, but there's all these like morning political shows and the Sunday political shows, they thrived off the claims of, 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 of um, Trump and of his, um, press secretary, Spicer, <coughs> excuse me, getting over the cold. Um, so they thrived off that because they were talking about the crowd size, and then Kellyanne Conway, his Trump's counselor, stated on Meet the Press, she said that Spicer, um, the secretary, the Trump's press secretary, he simply provided alternative facts <laughs> when making his arguments. So she's not going to say he lied, but he provided alternative facts. Uh, the media is loving that phrase. I'm sure you've heard it by now. Monday, January 23rd. He started his week off with a bang. Um, <laughs> this is when um, he issued all kinds of executive orders and memorandums. So the first one was withdrawal of the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the TPP, it was once called the Gold Standard and Trade Agreements, as Hillary Hillary Clinton called it. Um, but then when people started understanding its ramifications and all the details of it, it was highly, highly contended. Um, people, you know, basically it was ideal for, for multinational corporations, but not for individual people. It was never approved by Congress, so it hadn't yet gone into effect in the U.S., but Trump's formal withdrawal was more like an announcement of his decision on the part of the U.S. to end the ongoing international negotiations and let the deal wither and die. As a side note, Obama was pushing really hard for the TPP right up until, ironically, the day that he met with Trump the first time. And then that night, oddly enough, he announced that he was no longer pushing for the TPP. Coincidence? I think not. Trump has been outspoken against it since day one. I think anyone who knows about the TPP well, well, every normal person who's not a multi-billionaire owning a multinational company can agree this was one good thing Trump has done. Again, I did not vote for Trump. I don't love the man. I don't. I, I think he's an awful person. But I can be honest enough to say that was a good thing. And that is one of the things that I truly believe that Hillary Clinton was going to um, – have have it ratified, which 
would be awful for humanity. If you don't know much about the TPP, I did a show on it. Um, you can go to mandykinning.com where you are probably listening from right now, and you can um, find out more about it. But luckily, it did not go through. Um, so we also executive order 13765, minimizing the economic burden of patient protection and affordable care act. Basically he said, we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. And then there was something called the Mexico city policy. This is one that's kind of controversial in, in the news. Basically it's a memorandum that a lot of presidents have kind of gone back and forth with, um, in their, their terms. Um, it re- so Trump reinstated it, and it restricts the use of foreign aid money to support family planning organizations that promote abortion. So basically it's, it's saying we won't give any, any um, organizations any federal funding if they provide any kind of counseling or if they provide abortions at all, even if those abortion services are funded by different money. So um, – you know, it's kind of considered a step in the wrong direction to, you know, a lot of women's rights people. It's called the Mexico City policy because it prevents foreign non-government organizations that receive any U.S. cash from, and and the, the actual wording is, providing counseling or referrals for abortion or advocating for access to abortion services in their country. So, It was first implemented in 1984 under President Ronald Reagan, and every Democratic president has rescinded it, and every Republican president has reinstated it ever since. So it's interesting. Um, Then there was the memorandum of a hiring freeze. This was Trump's uh, first way to do what he was calling draining the swamp. So he – it calls for a long-term plan to reduce the federal workforce within uh, nine days. So basically they have to come up with a plan within, the, for within 90 days of his memorandum that will reduce the federal workforce. And he did make an exception for the military, but it actually does forbid contracting to circumvent the ban. Um, so contracting to the military is also banned. Then later that evening, he met with Republican and Democratic congressional leaders, and he talked again about how there were three and five million illegal votes cast in the 2016 election that caused him to lose the popular vote. So he has like a few, like five or ten, like speaking points, right? That that he keeps like going back to, like broken record. He keeps saying it was the biggest inauguration ever. And he keeps saying, you know, build a wall, drain the swamp. And he's also saying that three to five million illegal votes were cast. He's saying that um, people who died and and people are, reg- are registered still and this and that, which there are cases where those people are registered. But I don't know that he has any information about how many actually voted. But they are going to um, – try to do a study. So Spicer later addressed the press and blamed them for trying to undercut the tremendous support for Trump and emphasized that Trump, Trump emphasized again that Trump's was the most watched inauguration ever, if you include all the people who streamed it. So like I said, I mean, I'm sure that it was the most watched ever because of technology and live streaming and YouTube and everything else, just not in person. So, oh yeah, and then that same day, 
experts filed a lawsuit because they claim the president's overseas businesses are in direct violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution. So, um, you know, just like two or three days in, and he has a lawsuit filed against him. Fun times, huh? So the next day, Tuesday, um, Spicer, the press secretary, came back again about the widespread voter fraud. And they keep saying over 3 million people were registered to vote in two places or who are dead or whatever. Um, and then the, in, the bad news or one of the first bad, really bad things, in my opinion, that he did was he signed two orders to advocate – or I'm sorry, to advance construction of the two pipelines that are so controversial, the Keystone XL and the Dakota Access Pipeline, the DAPL. So the Keystone is 1,179 miles of pipe um, running from Canada all the way to the Gulf Coast. And it's mostly built, or it's, it's a large portion of it is built, but it was halted by Obama in 2015 because there were concerns over the message that it would send about climate change because Obama was trying to work towards cleaner um, emissions and and trying to get us off of, of oil as much. but now Trump has put that back on the table. And the DAPL. This was a separate order applied to it. Um, it's a 1,172-mile pipeline, so it's, it's almost as long as the Keystone, and it goes from North, North Dakota to Illinois, like this portion of it does. This is a pipeline that's been in the news so much that you've probably heard about the, the Standing Rock Sioux um, Native Americans with um, the protests and basically because they they don't want millions of people drinking clean drinking water to be contaminated. But apparently Trump doesn't care. Um, if you want to know more about the that pipeline, I did a show on that too, um, about the Standing Rock um, issues. And, and I actually did two shows on Standing Rock. So you can listen at, again, mandykinney.com. And you are listening to hashtag just saying with mandykinney.com every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay, so the next memorandum was the construction of American pipelines. He asked the Secretary of Commerce to review ways to require the use of American-made steel in pipelines, and it would impact all the new expanded or retrofitted pipelines. So basically, all of the pipelines that exist in America, as well as being built or um, you know, correct or or fixed or anything, any deal being done needs to come from America. That's basically what this says. Then there was an executive order, 13766, and it's expediting environmental reviews and approvals for high-priority infrastructure projects. This basically just allows um, a speedy process for um, infrastructure projects, like bridges and roads, and basically it just makes it easier to get a law passed. There was a presidential memorandum for streamlining permitting and reducing regulatory burdens for domestic manufacturing. So the Secretary of Commerce will launch a review of manufacturing regulations with the goal of streamlining those rules. Uh, who cares? I mean, we care, but not one of the biggest ones. And then he had a proclamation, 9571, National School Choice, Choice Week, 2017. So Trump announced that the week of January uh, January 22nd, 
will be the National School Choice Week. So it was basically just a ceremonial thing, and it's sponsored by a coalition of charter, magnet, private, online, and homeschools. And it was probably in preparation for Betsy DeVos, his, um, his pick for Secretary of Education, who actually just today got confirmed. And in the first um, ever in American history, there was a tie on her confirmation hearing, so the vice president had to break the tie. Um, I personally think everything about uh, Betsy DeVos is appalling. Um, I think she's underqualified. I think it's ridiculous that she's never worked in a public school, never attended a public school, none of of her kids attended a public school, yet she now is over the entire Department of Education. But that's another day, another argument for another day. Um, Okay, and so then... Trump moved on to his executive orders about border security. Let's build that wall. Build the wall. Executive order 13767 was about building the wall, and it also directs the hiring of 5,000 more Border Patrol officers. And then executive order 13768 um, was to enhance public safety in the interior of the United States. So he's saying that they're going to hire 10,000 more immigration officers, um, and revoke federal grant money from sanctuary cities, which refuse to deport undocumented immigrants. So he is wanting to basically, like, get rid of undocumented workers and prevent Islamic people from coming to the country. A really stand-up guy. Um, very, very open-minded. So then Thursday, he traveled on January 26th, he traveled to Philadelphia to address the GOP congressional retreat where he delivered a speech about his Obamacare repeal plan and to crack down on violent crime and talked about his executive actions on immigration and trade. Um, That same day, the Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, canceled um, his trip because of Trump's continual claim that Mexico will pay pay us back for that wall. Um, he gives a second interview to Fox News' Sean Hannity, and again, he talks about the huge crowds at his inauguration, the millions of illegal votes cast in November, and he broke the news that he wants to, he, can, he continues to believe that waterboarding works, and he ta- he's talking about bringing it back. Like, he thinks that it needs to come back, but it should not be illegal because it works, despite arguments otherwise. But he says it works. I mean, between you and me, I'm sure all kinds of forms of torture work, but they're not necessarily humane. But then again, the people who are being tortured may not be doing humane things to other people either. So Friday, January 27th, um, Trump hosted his foreign leader, his first foreign leader at the White House, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, Um, She did a lot of the talking, actually, which was kind of surprising to me. And he had an executive order that day protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. So this is the one that he promised to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the country during his campaign. Um, And so the country's – this is the travel ban. It it included the countries Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. Um, It also had a suspension of the refugee program for 120 days and a cap on the 2017 numbers, an indefinite ban on Syrian refugees, 
a ban on anyone arriving from those seven countries, which are Muslim-majority countries, um, with a few certain exceptions, and then a cap of 50,000 refugees, period. Um, and I'm going to discuss the travel ban later. So I'm going to speed through the rest of this because I found out a lot about the travel ban. I think that's kind of the hot topic right now. Um, so then he also did a memorandum about rebuilding the U.S. Armed Forces. Then that Saturday, um, there were a lot of problems with the travel ban. There were protests, and um, Trump also named Steve Bannon to be a permanent member of the Principals Committee, giving him equal say to other cabinet-level officials. Steve Bannon is the one who runs Brightheart, or ran Brightheart News, the website that is an alt-right website and thought to be very, very um, racist, basically. So, um, the, and then I, I guess also the National Intelligence and um, the Director of National Intelligence and Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, who are typically permanent members, will now only attend when pertinent issues are being discussed. So that's kind of interesting. And then also Trump had called a whole bunch of um, foreign leaders. He called Vladimir Putin, his BFF. Um, no, he's, they still say they've never met. I don't know. Um, and then he had a tense conversation, apparently, with the Australian Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. I didn't know we had any qualms with Australia, but apparently now we do. Um, there was another executive order, ethics, ethics commitments by executive branch employees, basically um, imposing a lifetime ban on anyone who uh, administration officials lobbying foreign governments and a five-year ban on other types of lobbying. National Security Presidential Memorandum 2, uh, Organization of the National Security Council and the Homeland Security Council. So it said, like, basically every modern president signs this early in his or her term, reorganizing um, the National Security Council, and many of Trump's nominees are, um, to put it lightly, controversial. So he was just naming his, his picks. Um, the National Security Presidential Memorandum 3, plan to defeat the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. You know, I had not heard anything about this, which is kind of surprising to me. It's, everything is about the travel ban on TV, but this sounds like a good one. The memorandum calls for the Secretary of Defense and other national security op officials to develop a plan within 30 days to defeat the Islamic State. The plan has to include recommended changes to any United States rules of engagement, as well as any other measures that the Trump administration can legally take. So I haven't heard much about that, on, if anything, on TV um, but it sounds like a good thing that he's making people actually like work and work expeditiously. So, hey. So then the next day, um, there we found out that there was a targeted raid in Yemen, targeted against Al Qaeda militants, um, and the raid is it was later deemed a success. But a U.S. Navy SEAL was killed during the raid in Yemen. Um, and protests continued that day. Protests have continued every day about the travel ban. Um, but last Monday was a very interesting day. Yikes. It was like a travel ban throwdown. <laughs> um, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, from the Obama administration, she was a carryover, um, announced that she was going to direct the Justice Department lawyers not to defend Trump's travel ban. So just a few hours later, Trump did what he does so well, and he said, you're fired. He replaced her with 
Vanessa, Dana, Bonte, um, who's an interim until his cabinet nominee is, is um, confirmed. So um, lots of people are protesting against the travel ban, not just, you know, individual citizens and not just foreigners, but Obama. And there's even a lot of Republican senators who are getting mad. Um, Washington State actually sued over the, over the ban. And that's what was um, the appeals court hears was uh, hearing arguments both ways over the Trump battle uh, travel ban tonight, actually. And then on Tuesday, um, I'm sorry, there was an executive order reducing regulation and controlling regulatory costs. So this this was his one in, two out rule, basically, that um, we have too many regulations and we have regulations on regulations. So for every new regulation that we have, we have to get two, we have to strike two out. Then Tuesday, January 31st, Trump nominated June or Judge Neil Gorsuch, Gorsuch to fill the vacancy of the late, the late Justice Anton, Antonin Scalia. Um, conservatives are praising his pick and liberals are fearing that we're going back in time. And then San Francisco also sued Trump that day, accusing the administration of violating states' rights with the travel ban. Um, and then, but is it a travel ban or is it not? The White House said it was a travel ban. You know, everybody was calling it a travel ban, and then they said it's not a ban. It's just a delay or uh, intense vetting. Um, also, the Senate confirmed Elaine Chow as Secretary of Transportation that day. February 1st, Rex Tillerson became our he, um, he's the former chief executive of Exxon Mobil, and they confirm him, which is as the uh, Secretary of State, which is scary. Such is life. And then exciting news. <laughs> Two Republican senators announced that on last Wednesday that they were voting against Trump's choice for Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. But like I just said a little while ago, she ended up being confirmed tonight because Vice President Pence voted her in. He broke the tie. Um, and I didn't hear about this, but the Associated Press reported that threats that Trump threatened to send U.S. troops into Mexico to stop bad hombres. <laughs> um, Mexico's president denied that, and they have rescinded that ever since. Um, Sean Spicer clarified that the ban was just extreme vetting, and he said that green card holders uh, from the seven majority Muslim countries won't need special waivers from the travel ban anymore. So if, if you hold a green card, then you're able to come back here. Um, so basically, like, if you were here legally to begin with, you can legally come back. So that's, I mean, the fact that there was a law against, or an executive order against that is kind of odd to me. So then another judge, this one from L.A., issued an emergency order forbidding the government officials to enforce the new travel policy. And uh, the White House announced that they were putting Iran on notice for bad behavior. Basically, they were testing out missiles, and um, Trump said no, no. So then Thursday, February 2nd, um, the Celebrity Apprentice creator, Mark Burnett, introduced Trump at this um, national prayer breakfast, and Trump was like dogged out Arnold Schwarzenegger and said, and I just want to pray for Arnold, if we can, for those ratings, okay, because I guess a celebrity apprentice, and it went to crap. 
so Arnold sent a funny video out that was just a short video asking Trump to host to host the show again and allow um, Schwarzenegger to be the president, and then and America the American people would be relieved, which would actually probably sadly be kind of true. Um, so then I mentioned Breitbart News a little while ago. Um, their editor Milo. I'm not even going to try to say his last name. It's like 10 syllables, starts with a Y. Basically, he's like a white supremacist, and his speech was canceled at UC Berkeley because there were violent protests. Um, they originally were protests, and it looks like they kind of turned into riots. But um, so then Trump came back, and he said that the cancellation was an infringement on freedom of speech, and he ended his tweet because, you know, that's how he expresses himself, no federal funds. So he's, like, threatening to not fund UC Berkeley because they didn't want this racist guy to come give a speech. But, you know. And then on that same day, Kellyanne Conway defended Trump's immigration order by citing a massacre in Bowling Green, Kentucky, supposedly masterminded by two Iraqi refugees. No such massacre ever happened. Not a massacre. That didn't happen. And she later corrected herself in a tweet, of course. In a tweet, not a press hearing uh, or press release. Um, and then last Friday, a federal judge in Seattle temporarily halted Seattle, Washington, halted Trump's executive order on immigration and travel from those Muslim majority countries, and um, this basically halted the travel ban. So, and then so that's what's in negotiations right now. And then new sanctions were announced against Iran following up on the administration's earlier threat against the country. Um, And nearly 60,000 visas were revoked under Trump's travel ban, a government lawyer said. Interesting, huh? So then there was a fiduciary duty rule. Basically, um, People who are investor or are advisors to individual investors, um, the the fiduciary rule basically was was going to go in place in April, and it was going to hold and um, financial advisors to a higher standard, and it would prevent financial advisors from recommending products not necessarily in the client's best interest. But Trump basically said, "Nope, I want them to be able to recommend whatever they want." To people, and I want them to be able to take advantage of people as much as they want and not be held to those high standards, just like I did with Trump University. I don't think those were his exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. Um, so then, Saturday, last Saturday, airlines resumed allowing travelers once again um, uh, that were affected by travel, the travel ban, and Trump, who was at some resort, Mar a Lago. In Palm Beach, Florida, he tweeted, the opinion of this so-called judge, which essentially takes law enforcement away from our country, is ridiculous and will be overturned. So the news has really jumped on that. Um, Okay, so now about the travel ban, because that's affecting the most people immediately, and it's it's kind of really not completely understood, I think. Um, So I was trying to understand... I, I keep hearing that, well, Obama's the one who came up with this list. The, you know, under the Obama administration, that's when we came up with this list. And I'm like, well, if Obama came up with it, then why didn't Obama enforce some kind of ban or, or extreme vetting or whatever? Um, but come to find out, in December of 2015, 
President Obama signed into law a measure placing limited restrictions on certain travelers who had visited Iran, Iraq, Sudan, or Syria on or after March 1st, 2011. So it was only four countries at first. This was in December of 2015. And he was... um, Placing limited restrictions, so it wasn't a ban, but it was probably more extreme vetting, basically, if anyone had visited Iran, Iraq, Sudan, or Syria on or after March, or like basically since March 1st of 2011. So two months later, the Obama administration added Libya, Somalia, and Yemen to the list in what it called an effort to address the growing threat from foreign terrorist fighters. All of this came because of a law that was put in place under Obama's administration, basically saying that every year um, there has to be a report published of countries that have um, terror programs that are basically like sponsoring terror programs. Um, So the restrictions specifically limited what was known as a visa waiver travel by those who had visited one of those seven countries with the specified time period. So it was if they had a visa waiver, what they're calling a visa waiver, and they they traveled to those countries within that time period. But people who previous could have entered the United States without a visa were instead required to apply apply for one if they had traveled to one of the seven countries. So basically it, it was, you know, more vetting and jumping through more hoops, but it wasn't banning them. Um, and I've seen all kinds of things on, on Facebook, and I just, um, I'm just going to read what I wrote on one of the posts because um, I thought about my words very long and carefully, and I said, while I don't like the man and I don't agree with his pr- approach, I do believe most of the world is only seeing the skewed media coverage about this, about the travel ban. This ban stems from a law actually started by Obama, and it's supposedly based on intelligence from government agencies about the countries with the highest threat. During an interview with the ABC News this week, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer suggested a much different reason, noting these seven countries were identified by the Obama administration needing further travel scrutiny. And there's a law that already exists because Obama signed it into law and and specifically Section 6, high-risk program countries, and the website that I was looking at was actually congress.gov, and it was 114th Congress House Bill 158. Um, Mind you, this law specifies that the Secretary of Homeland Security and Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of State should produce a report. Trump could have enforced the ban based off that report, completed on you know that was completed under the Obama administration again his execution of this was horrible rushed and unclear but the whole story is not getting reported also from the Department of Homeland Security originally Iran Iraq Sudan and Syria were identified as countries of concern then on February 18 2016 Libya Somalia and Yemen were added to the list of the of these countries of concern limiting visa waiver program travel for certain individuals who have traveled to these countries. So at the beginning, it was just the four countries, and then they added the other three because they are, um, you know, they have their, their, the intel says that they have terror, you know, terrorist programs. 
whether it's Al-Qaeda or um, um, ISIS, you know, whatever it is. Unfortunately, um, there have been a lot of cases um, of people being detained or turned away from America who really should have been able to come. And I think most of that is due to the fact that um, Trump just basically said, ban these people and that's that. And I think that's one bad thing about executive orders is that you can't just say, do this, whatever it takes, do this. When you're running a country and supposedly, you know, one of the leaders of the world, you can't just say, I want you to ban everybody from these countries without having some kind of stipulation. A lot of people, even a lot of Muslim people, uh, you know, agree. First off, the, the people who are claiming that they are, quote, the Islamic State or ISIS or ISIL, whatever, you know, any form of those, or Al-Qaeda, any of these people who are claiming to be um, Islamic, according to the vast majority of Islamic people in the world, they will tell you there's nothing Islamic about those people. No more so than, you know, people in the KKK claiming to, to have their beliefs because of Christianity. As a Christian, I will tell you those people are not serving out my God's will. Um, they are making excuses to be violent, basically, and to increase hatred. Um, in the same way, I think the radical Islamic terrorists are doing the same thing. Um, and most Islamic people will, will say the same thing, will say that they're, they're, they're not acting out of um, religion. They're, they may think they are, but this is not what the religion teaches. So I think that's important to note. Um, but I think the biggest problem was that, uh, that Trump just said, this is what's going to happen, period. I've, you know, I've, I've heard, seen interviews and I've heard from Islamic people that, okay, I understand the ban, but why those seven countries specifically? So, it, you know, that's why I went and did the research to find out what, where, the, where do they find those seven countries? Why those specific seven countries? Because it just so happens that no um, terror attacks on American soil have ever been committed by anyone from any of those countries. But a lot have but from Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, and they're not on the ban list. So how does that happen? But again, you know, Trump has more information and more, you know, top secret clearance than we do. But I guess he, he I'm sure, read the report and knows more details than we do. But this was actually based on intelligence that was found under Obama's administration, now, like I said, Obama did not um, ban people, but he did limit um, the the abilities of these people to travel to America. So, you know, good or bad, it it it, it was in place. There were people who suffered because of it. Um, Basically, it also ended the refugee program, so these people are trying to escape their country, and they can't. So um, I heard about one, like this family who had a visa for their child and for themselves to come over here because their child um, needed some kind of life-saving 
surgery that that couldn't be done in their country, and then their visa was revoked, so they couldn't come over here. So their child was going to die. Luckily, the courts have have are you know have fought the ban, and they are fighting the ban. Um, but notice that you know, granted, we are further away from the the radical Islamic area than other areas in the world, but notice we we are not having the terror attacks that other countries have. It's I mean, time will tell whether or not we're going to, but we certainly need to um I mean something. And I have a caller on hold right now. I'm going to take the caller. Caller from 917-374. You are on air. Hey, Mandy, it's Stacy. Hey, how are you? Good. How's it going? Um, I'm enjoying the... I'm enjoying uh, listening in and love learning about everything and I just had some thoughts, you know, with the travel ban stuff and what came to mind, you know, I'm trying to learn as much as I can, uh, being a person that's not, my work isn't in politics, but I'm trying to catch up to speed. And from what I'm trying to read as much as possible and from uh, information from my friends in the military and this and that, some ideas come to mind that I feel like kind of, um, butt heads with the idealism versus, I guess, some realities with some of the stuff. And I feel like some of the the communication could be, like, better with a lot of what's going on in a more detailed way. And sometimes I feel like certain contexts aren't conveyed, um, you know, in in a lot of information that we're getting in the media and stuff. But the thing that comes to me, and I mean, particularly with my military friends that have shared with me, is is with the the travel ban. Um, you know, on in one sense, it seems it's like people are taking it uh, against Muslims. But on the other sense, another part, I feel like a lot of liberals um, really being or educating themselves more about is, and I, what I'd love to learn more about, I'm trying to learn more, is, is the realities of places that uphold the Sharia law. And mm-hmm. that's the issue that resonates with me is what um, I think a lot of folks have that concern about is on one hand, the ideal of America is that we are, um, you know, a place for everybody to be melting pot and cherish their values and express themselves how they want to and all that good stuff. But that, that clashes with certain, um, you know, like the Sharia law um, in places that really honor that the Sharia law, because if anybody is really, read about that and what um is that's all about it's you know excuse my french it's pretty fucked up stuff Um, and so this so the you know places that and again i'm open and learning as much as i can as well so i i'm trying to speak as truthful as, as what i understand but 
places that uphold the Sharia law, and from what I know, the Sharia law is a law that comes from the Quran. I, I've not read the Quran. I, w- I would like to someday. But um, And those places that do uphold that, I mean, they have things like, you know, they're allowed to consummate marriage with girls that are nine years old. They chop hands off if you get caught with theft. Um, women are, you know, completely, you have to submit, you know, to men. I mean, it's, it's a, there's a lot of violence in those things. And I don't feel like where, and I come from a creative liberal uh, background. I've grown a little more conservative through the years, but um, there's an issue with that because I feel like with our open love liberalism, um, it there's there's another reality going on. I feel like that a lot of folks aren't getting uh, in in tune with that is real and doesn't you know isn't isn't cool with how how we're uh, doing things here. Um, you know those things wouldn't be okay. So I feel like I feel like uh, a little bit frustrated with my liberal homies in a way because I feel like sometimes they are not uh, tuning into the realities of what's going on in a lot of places of, you know, in the other parts of the world. And I've done European travels and all this good stuff. And there's a lot of places that don't like Americans that are not down with oh, yeah. the way we carry ourselves or anything like that. And so that was just my two cents, and thanks for letting me share. You know, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Well, and along those lines, I don't know much about Islam. I work with um, a Muslim girl who, or lady, and she wears a hijab, and um, I ask her questions every once in a while because she's one of the few people I see regularly who I know is Islamic and, you know, can answer questions, but um, she does not, you know, advocate violence by any means. But, I, you know, I, I have learned a little bit from her, but I've also done a little bit of studying. Again, like you, I would like to know more about Islam and, and their practices um, or their teachings. So there's a lot in the Christian Bible that is violent, and, it, you know, um, especially in the Old Testament. So there are people who, who believe word for word that we should follow that, too. Um, so, I mean, the, the same argument can be made about Christianity that you're making about Islam. So I don't want to, you know, put it in a box like that. But I will say this. Every other religion that I know of advocates always being honest, right? But there is actually a, a rule or, or something. It's um, And I'm actually looking at MuslimFact.com, and, and it's, Islam and the facts, because it's, it, you know, and I've, I've looked this up on multiple different websites, not just this one, but I pulled this one up first. It's called al Takia, and it is, it's about deception, and it's the, the Islamic word for concealing or disguising one's beliefs, convictions, ideals, feelings, opinions, and or strategies. So basically, they believe that it, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the Quran says it is okay to lie about being Islamic to non-Islamic people 
if you feel like you're being threatened or if you feel like, um, you know, it's, in, it's, it's for betterment of Islam. So that, that bothers me because if, um, if you truly believe that your God is allowing you to lie, then, and, and just to the, the non-Islamic people, then how do I know that anyone is actually telling the truth or are they going to construe everything as, well, I'm protecting my religion, so I'm lying, and they don't ever tell you the truth to your face? So, I mean, that kind of scares me. Um, I don't know the, you know, the percentage of Islamic people who practice that specific, you know, law or rule or whatever, um, but, I, I mean, it's in there, it, and, and it lets them lie. So that's kind of disturbing. Um, I like my. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, so sorry. My my impression because I have Muslim friends, and you know, my heart is big and accepting. I you know don't discriminate at all. Um, So I've been trying to learn through the years and have felt confused because of say what my friends in the military um, have shared with what they see in places that are, you know, following Sharia law. And Mm -hmm. what I understand is that there's a lot that's open for interpretation. Um, So, for instance, I, from what I understand, a lot of Muslim folks here um, that are, you know, kind and loving and, you know, for goodness and everything they follow uh and i'm open to be corrected if wrong but this is just what i'm trying to understand yeah. that they follow a peaceful interpretation of the quran or uh you know their the their belief systems now i from what i understand is that places in other countries in other cultures where it is completely different um that do really honor this Sharia law system, um, it is like a long list of things that you're punished by death uh, if you do all these. It's it's really, really, like, horrific, the things that they do there. I mean, they, like, stone people. They're, they're doing these, you know, really messed up things. And so imagine that uh, people carrying that type of belief system uh, coming to any other place you know, that's quite a, a danger. And I'm not saying that this travel ban is a good thing or anything like that. I'm saying, like, you know, the way that it's the way that they're trying to handle it is definitely, like, not very, not very, right. you know, suave. The, the, at their all. approach, their approach was awful. But the, I, the underlying idea of it, as open minded as I am and as accepting of every individual person as a person as I am, I am perfectly fine with, and it has, honestly, it has nothing to do with religion to me. It has to do with the culture and the area you're coming from. And I am all for, call it what you want, a ban, extreme vetting, um, limiting resources to these people, whatever you want to call it. But, I am all for tightening the reins and our country has the right to decide who can and can't come here. Now, 
every country in the world has that right. A lot of countries you have to get a visa to go. Now, America is stricter than most other countries in the world. I understand that, and I understand a lot of people want to come here. But regardless of your religious beliefs, if you are from an area, like you're saying, that that practices Sharia law, why would you want to come to America other than to – to impose your, you know, Allah's will and, and take out the Westerners. Because if you're, if you're from a place with Sharia law where, where, you know, you have to wear a burqa all the time, and then you come here where we're in like thong bathing suits on the beach, and I mean, people can dress however they want. That would be offensive to them, just like it it would be offensive to me if I walked up on someone's stoning someone to death, you know, it would bother me. So I don't understand why they would necessarily want to come here. And I think everyone has the right to travel all around the world. But I also do think that every country has a right to accept or refuse people based on certain criteria. And I don't think it's necessarily religion because, like I said, the, the radical Islamists are paramount to the KKK. I mean, the KKK say that that their white purification is all, that they're practicing the Bible, that they're doing God's will. You and I know that's not true, you know, but they say they're Christians. Well, they may consider themselves Christians, but I'll tell you now, the Bible that I study does not say to, to purify the race and everything else that they claim that it does. Just like the Islamic people who are peaceful you know, do not read the same words that the the radical Islamists are reading. So, it, you know, for me, it's not as much about religion as it is about culture and about just what's going on in the areas. Like, should Syrian refugees be able to come here? Heck, yeah, they should. Or, you know, I believe, they're, especially if, you know, it's like a family with kids and this and that, but should they have to be on a waiting list or or, you know, be extremely vetted or have research, you know, background searches done on them. I mean, the NSA is listening to everything and everyone anyway, so why not just pull their file with NSA, if you will, you know? I mean, so yeah. I, I have, I, like you, I have mixed feelings on it because I am very open-minded, but at the same time, you know, the terror in the world is real, and it is escalating as, as weapons get, you know, more technologically advanced and as more and more people get weapons in their hands. Um, I mean, it's, it's a scary world we live in. So I don't like I, Trump. I agree with you about thinking about the culture, et cetera, because the words in the media um, uh, oftentimes are extreme. Uh, was it extreme uh, terrorists or whatever? It, it sounds Radical like there's... Enormous. So when those words um, sound like there's sprinkles of them, but the reality is yeah. is that there's whole cultures, like whole cultures of, um, you know, people that have these belief systems that are uh, quite, quite violent. And so um, I think now in the context of where we are in our history, um, I think what they're trying to do, the Trump administration, what they're trying to do is crack down on problems. So they're trying to uh, mm-hmm. halt and cease and trying to crack down on problems. I'm not saying that how they're doing it is the right, right. way at all, seeing that that's what they're trying to do. But 
And the same thing with the um, the Mexico stuff. I like I love Mexicans. I have always felt like they're the best people to work with because they're uh, very family oriented. They're really hard workers, and I love working with Mexicans. And so <clears throat> that that being said, I think I feel like in that area, the issue that's really resonating is the drug cartels. And mm-hmm. I was listening the other day to some Texan ranchers that were talking about the realities that they deal with with the drug cartels um, being right along their uh, their ranches. And they're talking about constantly finding women's decapitated heads, you know, all kinds of really, mm. really gruesome stuff all the time down there. So I feel like, you know, the the, the, the tough thing is is because we're all trying to learn as much as we can with the space that we have for this stuff in addition to our, like, lives and busy lives and everything. But sometimes I feel the frustration is there's a real divide between the idealism-sounding rhetoric that you hear on the media and et cetera, and, and particularly with a lot of uh, liberal folks, versus what are the real specific day-to-day kind of realities that are going on in some of these issues like the drug cartel um, situation at the borders. And I'm not saying a wall is a solution, but it sounds like there is some real problems going on there. Um, and so some thoughts about that too. So thanks again for right. listening. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I completely agree, Stacey. And the thing is, um, with the wall, what's so funny to me is that so many people say, we can't build a wall. We can't build a Really? Because there already is a wall. Do you realize that there's not a wall on the entire border, but is a wall in some places, and it's it's not like short, and it's it's not a short span. But when it comes to keeping our border safe and keeping our country safe, it is the government's job to protect us, and that is what Trump is trying to do. Now, is he going at it the right way? I do not believe so. But I will give the man credit in that respect that I do think he is trying to protect the country. And I think his ideas are, are, you know, like you said, with the media, you watch CNN and you hear, you know, everything anti-Trump and everything very liberal. And I always thought I was very liberal. And now, you know, like you're, you're saying liberal this and liberal that. I agree with you. Liberals don't always tell the truth. But then you go to Fox News and they tell their slanted side. So you almost have to go research yourself to go find the information, the truth of everything. And it, it, it's hard to find the, the truth. It's, you have to find, you know, all of the different, the, the, all the different angles and all the different perspectives and then kind of dig through it all to try to figure out what is and is not truth and what is and is not fact. And it's, it's frustrating and it's time consuming, but I found myself doing that anyway, which is why I started this show because, and I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you calling in because I want to at least disseminate what facts I have learned, you know, and it can get kind of boring when I'm talking about all the, you know, different executive orders and things. But at the same time, I didn't know what an executive order was. So I, or executive memoranda, did you? No, I love listening to your show. You're doing, you're doing awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, on that note, 
next Tuesday, I will be um, presenting a show to you called um, Is Russia Really That Bad? (laughs) It's nice and controversial. My mom can't even talk about it with me because she gets all frustrated. And she's like, yes, they're that bad. Yes, they are. But here's my thing. Like we just said, I want to know the truth. I want to know, are, you know, when, when Trump said the other day, you know, we're not so innocent ourselves, you know, the media is really piggybacking on that. And, oh, well, he's bashing us, he's bashing us. Well, is he bashing us or is he being honest? Because we really have killed many, many, many innocent civilians. Maybe not intentionally, and, and no one's saying that we're just as bad as Russia or that Trump is just as bad as Vladimir Putin, but, you know, it, are they really that bad? Because I just watched the whole interview with, um, oh, my God, I can't remember his name right now, but the whistleblower on the NSA, Snowden, Edward Snowden. I watched a, like an hour-long interview with him today. He's living in Russia, and he basically was like, look, everybody in Russia wants the same thing as everybody in America wants. They want prosperity and happiness, like peace, prosperity, happiness. Like that's what, that's what everybody there wants. And he roams around the streets freely. He is a free man there. So the the idea that we get of, oh, Russia being so evil, I just want to know, is, is that really true? Is, are, is the Kremlin really that bad? And maybe after some more research I'll find out that they really are that bad. But I don't know. This week's show will be at 7 p.m., um, same time, same place, and it will be, is Russia really that bad? So join me then. Okay, Stacey? Thanks, Mandy. Thank you. And everyone, have a good life. You I'll be okay. I can dream the rest of It's just a little touch of fate. It'll be okay. It sure takes a time, but it's got right so high.